Hello, and welcome to episode 195 of the InFocus podcast. I am your irregular host, Andrew Brown. Uh, Sylvia is off this week, but we are joined by our regular co-host, Rosalie, the little record girl. Hello, Rosalie. How are you? Hello, I'm good. Uh, before we start, I'd also like to mention that um, my mum, Victoria, tried to support us and listen to the podcast, and she said we all sounded great and very informative, but she had absolutely no idea what we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was sweet and thought deserved a little uh, shout out. <laughs> okay, so we need to... Uh open up the show a little bit to be more accessible, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so let's move on with our latest Switch news. So all the big publishers and developers and platform holders in the past week have done their not E3 shows. That is everybody except for Nintendo, who didn't do one uh, very conspicuously. Uh, The rumor now is that They will do a direct on June 29th in a typically Nintendo move to just do it at a time completely separate from everybody else. What what did you take from the week, Rosalie? Were you surprised that they didn't have a direct ready to go? We shouldn't say it's not ready to go, but are you surprised that they didn't do a direct this week? Not really, because they've been kind of just... you find out like a few days before they do one these days so I was kind of I thought they Mm -hmm. would do something last minute to kind of surprise everybody whether or not they do and whether or not they do and it's got exciting things in it is another story (laughs) because I'm genuinely trying to think apart from ports and things like what would be oh I guess Breath of the Wild 2 would be the main thing people would be wanting actually never mind Yeah, but I, I don't think they're going to show anything from that now that they've said that it's not going to be out till next year. I think they'll wait till next year before they show us anything from it. Mm-hmm. I I would bet it would be either something we don't know exists yet. Another rumor is Ooh. there is a Fire Emblem game. It's done. It's ready to go. And they just haven't announced it yet. Uh, it was originally for the 30th anniversary, which was uh. last year. But they just ended up releasing a port of the very first Fire Emblem game. The three of us on the podcast at the time all played it. None of us really cared for it much (laughs) because it's a super old game and it feels like it. And you can't even buy it now because they did that time-limited thing. I have gone off on a huge tangent here. What were we talking about? (laughs) Nintendo Direct. Uh, Yeah. Maybe. Things they could potentially announce. Then I started talking about Fire Emblem. There we go. Uh yeah, it would be nice to finally see a Wind Waker and Twilight Princess HD ports, the ones that run the Wii U, if they finally yeah. go, yeah, these are coming, because it feels like we're at the tail end of the Switch, and if we never get them, I'm going to be a bit annoyed. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if we get them. I also wouldn't be surprised if we don't. <laughs> yeah. Good old Nintendo. <laughs> but the other big thing this year that I'm expecting to see in the direct when it finally comes out for the summer is Bayonetta 3. Oh yeah. I still only played the first one and I really liked it. Oh, you should play the second one. It's way better. Yeah, I should actually. It's one of those things <laughs> where I was like, oh, I'm not going to get a Wii U so I can't play it. And then I got one and then I still didn't get it <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> um, but I will. I will at some point because Bayonetta as a character and she's just ace i actually prefer her to um devil me cry stuff which i don't know people might get angry at but i think being it is a bit eh. more enjoyable experience yeah dante tries way too hard i'm like oh yeah. it's the 1990s again <laughs> yeah <laughs> i can already hear blink 182 whenever i look at dante <laughs> just god <laughs> whereas being has got fly me to the moon it's a bit you know a bit more classy yeah well, it was not a week completely devoid of announcements. I think probably the biggest announcement was Overwatch 2 is real. It's coming out on October 4th, and it will be free to play. And the Nintendo Switch will be one of the platforms it launches on, which I think is pretty nice. Honestly, I was kind of expecting that it would skip Switch, so I'm glad to see it's still coming. Are you an Overwatch fan? Lapsed. <laughs> <laughs> I was really into it when it first launched, and then I I played it again for a few months when it launched on Switch, but it just, it didn't do enough to keep me drawn into it. Like, they've added some new 
reasons to keep revisiting the game every day or every few days or every week or however often you want to do it since it launched, but they just didn't work for me. It still felt like I was doing the same few things over and over and I was getting a lot of rewards, most of which I wasn't using, which is something that Overwatch 2 might address because in addition to going free to play, it's also going to have a battle pass instead of flipping loot boxes thank god yeah they were really really dodgy in the first game i I think i actually spent a lot of money on it at the time and that's when i realized like oh (laughs) loot boxes are a bad thing (laughs) yeah um i'm i'm like sitting on a diva pillow right now actually which is like the last remnant of me ever being a big fan of overwatch um personally i don't want to give the Activision Blizzard any money for the foreseeable future so I will be avoiding it probably for a long time uh, and I'm worried about the free to play thing because to me that always just means that there's you know they're going to try in other ways to get your money uh, but yeah at least it's a thing so it'll be good for some people well, it sounds like they're removing the uh, loot boxes so I think if they're well there is going to be monetization obviously yeah. it's a free to play game but Probably what it's going to be is, you know, you, you got to pay money to get the premium battle pass. And I'd be interested to see what things you can do in it. If it's a kind of a Paladins style battle pass where you're just playing the same game, but you get more rewards for doing it. Whereas like Fortnite, I love the Fortnite battle pass because yeah. when, you, when you buy into it, it actually gives you new things to do in the game. It's not just the same game with better rewards. So I've always really liked the Fortnite Battle Pass, and I hope Overwatch 2 also has new things to do in the game versus just getting a better reward for winning a match. Also announced this week in the Final Fantasy VII Anniversary... Showcase? uh, Showcase, that's a word, we can use that one. Uh, (laughs) Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion is a full-on remake of the PSP... Final Fantasy VII spin-off Gaiden game side story uh, Crisis Core and it's getting a remake with similar production values to what the Final Fantasy VII remake is getting and it's coming to Switch which is exciting uh, very very exciting because yeah. it's probably one of my favorite PSP games back in the day it's so so good I don't know how to feel about the game uh, I, I played it on PSP and it's a strange sort of game it's it's built on a very yeah it's built on a very mission style setup like you go back to the soldier headquarters between each level and like you can do story missions or you can also sign up for like optional missions where you just run through kind of contextless little mini dungeons and fight a lot of things and your special abilities are activated by slot machine but it's not actually a slot machine. It's not actually random. It, it's a really strange system. <laughs> but I, I stuck with the game almost to the end, but I, I felt like it was just going on and on and on and wasn't getting anywhere, and I got bored and I quit playing. Oh, that's and a shame. F- the ending's really good. But you kind of... Well, yeah, you, yeah, yeah. If a few months later, I came back to it, and I yeah. found out there was only like two hours of the game left. Oh, no. <laughs> so, so the last act is a bit meandering, I, I felt at the time. So I, I'm interested to replay it, see how I feel about it today, because yeah. my memory is I didn't think it was a very good game, but I liked it anyway. So uh, I'm interested if my perspective on it has, has changed, if uh, if I think better of it and like it less, or if I think better of it and like it more, that would be nice. That could be a tagline for most Final Fantasies after, <laughs> like, 12. Like, it's not a very good game, but I enjoyed it anyway. No offense to anybody no. that likes Final Fantasy 13, I think it's absolutely awful. But no, uh, Crisis Core, the only thing I'm worried about is that they mentioned they're going to make it relevant to the remake games the like final fantasy 7 remake and then rebirth yeah, is a new one which cause... makes makes me worried that they've changed the ending or there, if there's a secret ending that's fine but the difference of the remake to the original is something i really don't personally like despite <laughs> seven being my favorite game ever and i'm really worried that it might just make the story a bit 
I'm, it's hard to explain without spoiling anything, but I, I'm just well, worried. It's hard to talk about the remakes at all, and I think people are going to find out because the yeah. second game in that Final Fantasy VII remake trilogy, you can't talk about that game without talking about the spoiler in the first game. Yeah. It, it, it's it's not really a remake of Final Fantasy yes. VII. It's, mo- yeah. it's more of a retelling, and it's an alternate timeline or an alternate universe, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Things are happening in a little bit different way. Yeah, and, and it, yeah. it's it's like that a, f- a fanfic you might have read in like the early two thousands, but but real with a high AAA budget behind it, and it doesn't it doesn't feel good <laughs> personally <laughs> to me. But I'm so glad the original is always there to replay. But the fact that they're trying to yeah. make this ev- all the other things like towards the new thing i'm like no please no so i hope it's, it's just a se- so over the top yeah i hope it's a secret <laughs> ending and they're, they're not gonna add all the plot ghosts which is a thing <laughs> that they add to the remake where there's just these ghosts that pop up and then something different happens and you have to you're forced to fight these ghosts i'm praying they do not do that to crisis core but i just they showed that um i don't know if you've seen that really expensive um buster sword clock that square enix released no, I haven't seen that. It, it's this piece of merch. It's just big plastic sword, and it cost a lot of money. And it was an alarm clock, and they showed that the the anniversary <laughs> thing as well. And I was like, oh, this doesn't bode well. <laughs> I'll probably still. I'm still gonna pre-order the next Final Fantasy things. It's, I'm I'm part of the problem, but I'm I'm just a bit worried. But I'm also excited because I think it's cool to see PSP games get some limelight that maybe people missed out on back in the day. So especially that's on the switch. Cause you know, it was handheld then. So it's going to be handheld now. That's really cool. Put the first Dissidia on switch, please. Oh, that would be cool. <laughs> that would be so cool. Not the second one, not the arcade one, not NT the first one. That's yeah. the best one. <laughs> and last news for this week, uh, Pokemon snap has been added to the Nintendo 64 app. <laughs> the much uh, belated sequel 20 plus years later came out on Switch last year. I didn't care for it personally, but I said at the time that one of the things I liked about the first game was it didn't overstay its welcome. It's very yeah. short. It's, a, it's about a three hour game to do everything in it. So I, I don't know how I would feel about it playing it today. Uh, are you excited at this one? Yeah, I mean, I still play it now and again on the N64 anyway, so it's still a very fun experience, mainly because it's quite short. Mm -hmm. And there's the charm of, you know, Professor Oak and the voice lines are very nostalgic. Yeah, (laughs) it's very nostalgic and uh, the music and things. I think there's still a lot of charm to it that the sequel didn't kind of tap into. Uh, So, yeah, no, I'm I'm glad it, it... to be honest, I still think there should have been they should have remade the original for the 3DS and used the camera mm. in some way, and I think they missed out a lot by not doing that back in the day. But no, I'm glad that they're actually adding stuff to the N64 library because it feels like they're not they haven't really. <laughs> I feel like I it's remember being the Wii U version of Pokemon Snap uh, supported the Blockbuster printout thing, like uh... oh yeah. Yeah, that was a thing on the Nintendo 64 version was you could take your cartridge to Blockbuster Video in the United States, at least. And Mm. they had a kiosk where you could plug your cartridge in and you could actually print out pictures that you had taken. And they adapted that in the Wii U version where you could use you could upload your pictures to Miiverse. So I wonder. There's technically a version to do it now. There is a a wireless um, Polaroid printer that specifically yeah. lets you connect to the switch and you can get a pikachu version and you can print off your screenshot so i guess that would be the kind of the modern version not as cool though yeah i don't know if they're gonna support that for pokemon snap that would probably be too much extra work to make <laughs> that work with the emulator but you know we could probably fake it with uh the screenshot button and yeah. posting it to twitter or something but it, it just wouldn't be the same no and hopefully they're going to keep adding more Nintendo 64 games to that app. This is the the last of the games they had announced were coming to it has now been released. So I want Pokemon Stadium 1 and 2. <laughs> That's all I ask. Uh, that, would seem, that would be kind of pointless without the Pokemon games to go with it. Because Pokemon Stadium 1 and 2 were just 
reasons to make you play the Game Boy games more. True, because especially because you had the speed up thing in the first mm. one, which was so handy. But if they announced it alongside, I don't know how they do this with the Game Boy games, so that you could like load your save file from the Game Boy library to Stadium. I don't think they could nice. do it, but that would be really cool, and I'd be really excited. But it's the mini games. There's still some of my favorite <laughs> mini games ever, yeah. like in Pokemon Stadium One and Two. So, but I, yeah, I don't think they're gonna. But you know, maybe, maybe. Well, we've talked about it before. The Nintendo 64 emulator on the Switch is not great, and it no. seems like it seems like they haven't put a lot of work in it yet. So. That kind of stuff is not just you don't just snap your fingers and it happens. So like maybe they mm-hmm. have worked really hard on it and just haven't had success with the uh, the Switch hardware. That's possible, or the, or the Switch software even. But if they can't even get like the 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 lighting and the field of vision correct in some of these Nintendo sixty four games, yeah. I'm not putting a lot of faith into them uh, making the Nintendo 64 app and a potential Game Boy app interact with each other. Yeah, that's true. That that would be low on my expectations list. <laughs> okay, so let's move on with uh, what we played this week. So first up, I played Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Finally managed to finish <laughs> that game with the sequel just about a month and a week away wow. at this point yeah my fourth attempt to finish xenoblade chronicles 2 because i've had it since launch day but if you're a longtime listener of the show you know i did not get on with this game when it first came out <laughs> i resented and was annoyed by many things in it which i've since either learned to appreciate or have just internalized and accepted as just something that i have to put up with if i want to play this game uh xenoblade chronicles 2 is set in a world called Allrest, where all the humans and the other human adjacent creatures live on the back of giant wandering creatures called titans that literally support entire ecosystems both on their backs and also inside them like the first major titan you go to is gore shoot <laughs> i'm gonna say it <laughs> wrong people are gonna get mad at me uh gormadi i think it's called uh, and it's got like a whole forest and a field on its back which is actually one of the best sandboxes in the game gets you off to a really good start there and then later on you go to uriah which is kind of a, a fish that swims around beneath the clouds and it's actually all internal. You're basically inside its stomach, but it looks like a big cave system. It's a really cool idea. And all the characters in the game are also matched up with blades, because this game does not have a traditional RPG weapon system where you just go to a shop and buy a sword and equip it. No, you have blades, which are both weapons and characters who follow you around. When a person is matched up with a blade, they become a driver, and the blade can give a weapon to their driver, and that's how that's how that works. It's super complicated. It's unnecessarily complicated. So when you're in a fight with three people, you also have their blades out, and each character can have up to three blades equipped at a time. So uh, when you have a fight with three people in it, there's actually nine other blades around behind them. It's just way too much to keep track of, and... Uh, they all talk, so when you're in battle, it's just constant chatter. It's very annoying to listen to. Uh, one of the one of the things I didn't get on with when this game first came out, and if you want to get more of these blades, you unfortunately have to engage in a gasha mechanic, which is oh, just no. yeah, it's it's bewildering that you're playing a full price RPG, like uh, a retail release RPG, big budget AAA game, and it's got gasha mechanics in it. to get new plates the argument i guess is that each time you play the game you're going to get different blades out of the gasha so it's supposed to make each experience a little bit different uh all i ended up doing was grinding the core crystals to get blades until i got the blades i wanted so i don't i don't really see that argument all it did was it made me grind more and filled my inventory with these useless common blades that I never used once, uh, except for in the uh, mercenaries missions you can send them out on, which is a Facebook game. You send them out on missions, and the clock ticks down, and then they come back 
when the time is up and you get rewards for doing it then you do it all over again uh, i spent i don't know how many hours doing that <laughs> but the more important thing from the uh, gush mechanics is you can get rare blades which are actually distinct characters and each blade has an affinity chart for it and if you do certain uh, activities in the game then the affinity chart will start to fill in and they'll gain new abilities like they'll deal 10% extra crit damage and these start to add up as you fill in these affinity charts so it's totally worth it to seek out all these activities like killing a certain number of monsters in a certain area or completing a side quest or seeing a certain cutscene and there are a couple dozen rare blades to find and they all have their own unique affinity charts and they all have unique like mechanics like there's one blade that's a, a dps blade that every single node on her chart is actually hunting down the rare monsters in the game so that's that's a pretty cool one like the, the more you focus on the rare monsters in the overworld that are like basically boss fights unto themselves the stronger this blade becomes really cool ideas like that i think the affinity charts is the thing in the game that i enjoyed most and also on the affinity charts, some of the blades have uh, like passive abilities like mineralogy or forestry or electricity mastery. And you can use these to pass skill checks in the overworld to open up new paths or solve certain puzzles. So that's a, another reason to get as many blades as you can because you do need these uh, skills to get to certain areas and very few of them are actually locked behind the story it's mostly if you just want to explore all the side areas that you have to do this stuff i thought that was pretty cool as well uh the blades are pretty inextricably linked into the story it's not clear at the outset but the story really is all about the blades and their relationship to their drivers and the main character, Rex, doesn't actually know anything about being a driver or really know much of anything about Blades. So like every time some new detail comes up, everybody else is like, how did you not know that? Everybody knows that. Which worked for a little while. Then after a while, I just started thinking, like, you guys are just making this up as you're going along. <laughs> now the combat. Um, oh boy. <laughs> I've been debating since I finished Xenoblade Chronicles 2 last weekend uh how deeply into this i was going to go uh i really do think i need to go all the way through it because it really will illustrate how overly complicated this game is <laughs> it's very intricate as i think i've already explained through how the blades work but i didn't even talk about how they work in combat because everybody has different attacks that they can use first out you you just have an auto attack that your character is always doing whenever they're in range of something they can hit and they're in combat every time they hit it builds up their arts meters a little bit and arts are your special abilities which you can have up to three equipped at a time when you do enough auto attacks you can activate an art and if you time your art when you cast it to your auto attack which come in bursts of three, then you'll get a little extra boost to your... I think I already called them a special attacks. There are so many... <laughs> there are so many terms in this. I'm going to get them wrong, so I apologize <laughs> for that. Uh, but use your arts, and that, that powers up your special attacks, and you can unleash those. And your special attacks have different elemental affinities to them that are associated with your blade. Like if you use your special attack with fire, that'll start the fire chain off. And then you connect that with other blades in your party up to three times to execute a driver combo is what it's called. And that will create an orb around the monster that you're fighting, usually a boss, because uh, the, the regular monsters you're fighting usually don't stay alive long enough for this to happen. Uh, and once the orb is spinning around, then you can do a chain attack, where you can uh, basically just watch a cinematic thing where you, you uh, select which blade you want to do the next step in the chain attack, and... It will unleash automatically, and the better you are at the quick time event, the more damage it will deal. 
and the orbs that are on it from your combo arts will start to burst, and when they burst, they will deal even more damage to the monsters. So that's pretty much how the boss fights go, is you, you want to stack as many orbs as you can, as fast as you can, then use a chain attack to wipe out, you know, a quarter to 50% of the boss's health in one go, which is super satisfying when you pull it off, because other, otherwise, just using basic attacks, these things are basically impossible to kill. They just have too many hit points. Then you use a chain attack, and you burst four or five orbs, and you deal a couple million damage in one hit. It's pretty awesome when it works, <laughs> but it's a lot of work to get that far. Actually, I think I made that sound pretty straightforward. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's just because I, I spent I was doing it for 90 hours, so maybe I just Oof. internalized it. <laughs> but anyway, that's the combat system in this game, and I did leave some stuff out. It is even more complicated than that. But that leads directly into the pacing. Everything in this game is a meat wall. Even if you have a significant level advantage over what you're fighting, it's going to take you 20 to 30 seconds to kill things if you have, like, if there's no chance of you possibly losing the fight. If it's a pretty good matchup, it's going to be a minute plus. If it's a boss fight, actually, surprisingly, mostly because of those chain attacks, it's not much longer. But uh, just with as slow as the auto attacks come out, you're waiting for your arts to charge up. Uh, it just feels slow to play, and everything has a ton of hit points, which adds to that. Then there's all of the experience points and the skill points that you have to get, so that way you can charge up everything. Uh, like, there's experience points to level up your characters, naturally, because it's an RPG, but then there's also, like, weapon points or something. They're called WP, and you use those to unlock skills. And the level of your blades is determined by your affinity with them. There's five different affinity levels. I played this game, as I said, for 90 hours, and I only got like two or three of my blades to the max affinity level. It just takes forever to get this stuff. And that just killed the pacing for me, too. It's, it's just such a slow-paced game, and that was what I always really struggled with it. Is it it's hard to play it for long periods of time because even if you only play it for an hour it feels like you've been playing for three it's exhausting <laughs> <laughs> but that's xenoblade chronicles 2 but was it was it was it good <laughs> i can't tell <laughs> oh no <laughs> there are things in this i really liked like i did like the blade affinity charts i really did uh -huh. like working my way through those i thought those were really successful but the character designs, I, I did finally do some reading on the game because I like to avoid reading about games until after I've beaten them. Yeah. Just so I can be more surprised by things as I encounter them. But I guess what happened when they were making this game is so much of Monolith Soft had been pulled away to work on Breath of the Wild that they had this huge RPG they were making, but they didn't have any staff to work on it. So they outsourced a lot of the character designs to just people they knew and as a result there is just a lot of random character designs in this game that don't mesh well at all and also a lot of the people they contacted work in let's call it the adult animation industry in japan <laughs> so some of the character designs in this game are um interesting <laughs> it, it's it's really weird that that is something you specifically mentioned because the game I was playing this week, the lead character design, our artist, worked on Cineblade Chronicles 2. <laughs> oh my goodness. Did they work on Pyra? Because Pyra, I've talked about this on the podcast before, how much Pyra's design annoys me. Like, it doesn't bother me. It annoys me that we've got this super serious character that is carrying a lot of the emotional weight of this game. And she's like this super Milk badass days. warrior. Yeah. Yeah. And she goes through the entire game wearing a breastplate and a thong. It doesn't work. Yeah. Is she the one yeah. that's in with like the, the red hair? Yeah. That, can, that's Pyra. She can transform into like the bl a blonde one, or is that a separate character? That's confusing. Uh, I, I never felt the game adequately explained what's going on there. I right. think they just wanted to have 
a character that could transform into another character. There's maybe I missed it. I don't know. Uh, my eyes might have been glazed over during that cutscene because I was just <laughs> bored out of my mind. But there's never really an adequate reason that I understood why Pyra and Mithra are two distinct people occupying one body. I I, I don't know. Uh, uh-huh. Mithra, the blonde, uh, her her design is a lot less off putting. <laughs> Because she, because she's wearing more clothes, basically. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, we we, sh- we that's a good segue then. So why don't yeah. you talk to us about AI the Somnium Files? AI the Somnium Files is a game I was playing. Uh, I actually liked the character design for it. I will. There's a couple of characters that also seem to be male gazy, but they weren't. They're not the main characters. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that's not true. There is one that's. I mean, I'm an anime fan, so I just kind of, when you see certain characters that are just like, <laughs> why are they dressed like that? And kind of, and, and it's so normalized, which is such a bad thing. But um, no, so what's cool about the Somnium Files, it's a Spike Chunsoft game. So mm-hmm. they're kind of, they do a lot of anime games, Danganronpa, that kind of thing. But the game is directed and written by the same guy that does the Zero Escape series. So if you ever played Oh, yeah, Nine- yeah, yeah. The Nonary games, yeah. Yeah, 999 yeah on the ds was like probably they were like really famous one it has that going for it because the the plot is really really cool it's a visual novel like mainly um but it's also like a puzzle game normally visual novels for me is a bit hit or miss because if it's just static art uh i get really bored but in this instead Mm. it's like it's fully rendered um fully rendered places that you can look about in all the characters are fully rendered it's not just art that pops up um and the whole game is uh, you're actually looking through the potags like um point of view so you're looking through his eyes uh, and it's a crime story which the zero escape games are quite known for um and it starts off with a crime scene and it's raining and you're in an abandoned themed park theme park and there is a dead body tied to a carousel horse that's missing one of its eyes. Oh, and it's like, woo. And what's really cool about the game is that it contextualizes the the kind of HUD. So when you look at things, there's kind of like a cyberpunk kind of thing that pops up. I know when you talk to people and when you like you know look over an item and it'll describe something and that's because uh you as the main character have an ai that is built into your eye socket <laughs> so you've only got one <laughs> eye and your i think the left eye is um is uh, actually an ai robot type thing called iba and she can actually come out of your eye and she's like a cute mascot or sometimes she's an anime girl because well just because um, but it actually makes everything make sense because sometimes she'll talk to you but only you can see a projection of her or it just it makes how you look about the world like make sense because the AI is projecting the images in front of you and I thought that was really really clever and she's also voiced by the same actress that does Anne from Persona 5 so the voice acting in this for the English dub is absolutely fantastic um, but it's what's really cool is that you are, so you're called Dati, you're like a detective for something known as IBIS, which is the Advanced Brain Investigation Squad. <laughs> but you're not like a normal detective. You can go into other people's dreams and walk about their dreams and like find things out. So if it's like a victim mm. of a crime, they have to be still alive. Or if it's like, you know, someone that's done something, you can go in their dream and it's called sinking, but it's with a P. So I guess it's like psychic sinking and you're called a sinker and you go into their dream. So half of the game is like a visual novel. But when you sync up with a character and you go in their dream, you run about the like a, a like a normal level as you like 3D run about as Aiba as an anime girl and you interact with things and that's like the puzzle some of the puzzle aspect of the game and you've got six minutes in this person's dream and you have to like time out what you interact with to try and see what's what the dream is trying to tell you and you can take different routes in the dream and that'll span different timelines of the game so there's like multiple timelines well some characters will die and some won't and then you'll get to an end of a timeline so I got the to the end of my first timeline and it was like something really exciting happened. And then it was like, you can't continue. You have to do another one to find out something oh. else. And then you can do. For me, that was actually quite exciting because the story is so good. 
and when you oh, replay okay. when, when you replay bits it isn't like the, the exact same thing it's like it's still new and you can actually you can skip through you can just hold a button and it'll skip through text if you don't want to rehear some things but every timeline is is like a new story in some ways and it was interesting to see like oh will this character die and then they won't and it it's it's just really exciting i, I wasn't expecting it there was a demo it was on sale for seven pounds and then I, there was a demo and i played like five minutes of the demo and went wow this is really really why is it so cheap but i think it's because the sequel comes out next month so they were trying to kind of advertise that a little bit but it's one of the best games i've played in a long time and wow yeah it's i'm like really really into it and i was looking up merch and everything <laughs> i was like i just want to be immersed in it um i forgot to mention as well the the name it's got a long somnium files is a very anime sounding name but somnium is latin for dream so it's basically the dream files yeah. because you can go in people's dreams Ah, uh, yeah, I typically don't like visual novels, but this is not your average visual novel. And since I've been posting about playing it, a lot of people are like, oh, that was my game of the year game when it came out in 2019. And um, it's also got really good pro LGBT stuff in it, which is quite unusual still, sadly, for an anime game. It was just the writing's really good. There is some weird bits where you're talking to a girl who's 19, you're like 30, and she's like, we should go on a date. And he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. But I think yeah. that's that's just one of those anime things that you just kind of have to accept, sadly. But um, it is quite funny as well, because a lot of the characters call you old man. And then you can check through like descriptions and you get little books where you can look at images in the game. And it's like, you're 30. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I've reached that stage where I would be an old character in a video game. That's so sad. But no, it's really <laughs> it's it's really exciting. It's on everything. It's not just on the Switch. Um, there were some lagging issues on the Switch, um, which I think might be because of the hardware. But um, it's just really cool. The music's cool. The um, What's cool as well, you know how some games where they have the dialogue boxes with the images of the character speaking, there'll be like an image that'll have an open mouth image or a, there'll be like angry image. It's actually fully 3D rendered in real time. So, you know, they actually look like... Ne- you see them as you're talking to them, but then there'll be a 3D model of them actually moving next to their dialogue box. And for me, that just makes it just more interesting to look at, especially in a visual novel. It's just really, really cool. And the game that just came out of nowhere for me and I really, really, really liked it. So if you can get it, uh, I think full price, it's still just over 30, 35 pounds. But if you like crime stories and you you're okay with a visual novel then I think it's just a no-brainer um, and I'm really excited for the sequel now even though I've only done a couple of uh, a couple of the timelines so I need to finish it <laughs> that's yeah. cool I, I uh, heard about this game but I thought I thought this was it <laughs> I, I thought this new I thought the sequel coming out was this the first game because uh, uh, I didn't yeah. realize there was a sequel yeah, I don't. The they've changed director, which makes me a bit worried for the sequel. Yeah. Um, but I'm I want it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the collect the collector's edition comes with a figure, which a lot of collector's editions of games do. But instead of being some badly sculpted, you know, like do you remember like the Last of Us sculpt figure that came out that was really you know faces on the collector's editions figures usually look really bad. They've actually got Good Smile Company to do a figure for it. So you're actually getting a figure in a collector's edition for a game that's like a genuine, really famous, well-respected manufacturer of figures. So that is probably what's going to make me get it, even if the game is bad. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's of Aiba and she's really cool. She's like a AI. Her, her hands are like translucent. So in the game, like you can see like nerves, but it's like cables because she's like a robot AI thing. And in the figure, her hands are also translucent, and I just love little things like that. So, but yeah, if you can get find the first game, really famous director, and it's it's really exciting. It's almost like an anime Heavy Rain. <laughs> Maybe that would oh, be no. good. But no, but I liked Heavy Rain. The good parts of Heavy Rain. It's kind of like. Were those? I, I honestly, I really like Heavy Rain. Sorry, it's like it, it feel it felt like that in some areas, but like it's just good. It's like even if you don't like anime games and you don't like visual novels, I would still suggest giving it a go. 
Okay. Because I think it would surprise you. But I am the resident um, weeb of the podcast, so, you know, <laughs> take what I, I think that's the case, yeah. <laughs> the I, I always got the anime games before, and then I would play them, and I was like, well, you all know I don't like anime, but I'm going to talk about this game now. <laughs> well, I didn't know the, the character designer. He did, um, do you remember those music rhythm games on the DS, and you get the cheerleaders, and it had... The uh, Elite the Beat Agents? Yeah, he did that as well, and No More Heroes. Oh, I love that game. Yeah, so... Uh, some of his character designs are very like hmm and then some of them are really cool um <laughs> so i didn't know he worked on them and i'm like oh that was i love that game uh no it's it's good if you liked 999 on the ds and you're gonna like and if you like danganronpa you're gonna like it because there's actually a reference to an in-character reference to danganronpa in the game which is kind of funny so i liked it <laughs> well speaking of leaning into uh our biases uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> i played teenage mutant ninja turtles Yay. shredder's revenge uh, uh, a retro kind of throwback to the 16-bit era even though it, it looks way better than anything a 16-bit console could make mm-hmm. but it, it, it's definitely evocative visually of that style of game uh, disclaimer i did play this on game pass on xbox uh, I have pre-ordered the physical version on Switch, but that's still a couple months away, and I wanted to play it right away so I could talk about it. Uh, I've looked at the Switch performance, and it looks pretty solid. I saw a clip of somebody playing the online mode with a, a full roster, a full team, six people, and it looked super smooth, so I don't think there's any anything to worry about getting the Switch version of this game versus any other platform. In simplest terms shredder's revenge is nostalgia just done absolutely flawlessly correctly this is how you do a nostalgia game it's based on the 1987 animated series of teenage mutant ninja turtles which uh, i don't i can't speak for every generation but for me personally and i think people my age that is what they think of when they think of teenage mutant ninja turtles either that or the the live action movies from <laughs> with the Jim Henson puppets in it. And uh, more specifically, it's based on the video games that came out in that time, which the arcade ones, I think, were the the most successful and the best-remembered Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games. It's definitely an update specifically of Turtles in Time, which is just a, an arcade classic and was also out on super nintendo and there was a game called the hyperstone heist on genesis which was basically turtles in time but there were a few differences that made them call it a new game but being a a retro arcade beat-em-up they have updated it for today uh there's a lot more movement in them it's very much in the line of you know scott pilgrim versus the world or Mm -hmm. uh streets of rage 4 where it plays very much like an old arcade beat-em-up, but there's been a lot of updates as far as the moves the characters have. I found this game a lot easier to play than those classic arcade games. I didn't have to, to cheese this game to, to finish it. I just had to learn all the moves and, and play it. You've got your basic combos. There's also a dodge button you can press to dodge away from enemies, and you can combo those together. You can dodge into an attack... And there's a throw, which you have to use in a few places. That's pretty cool. It works just like the throw in Streets of Rage. And you can jump, of course. And the the big update is there's a ninja power. Because in those old arcade games, you had special attacks you could do with each character. But it actually drained your health to use it. Which was kind of baffling on a console. Because it just felt like punishing you for using your best abilities. But... That came from the arcade where you could use your special attack and it would drain your health and you just put a quarter in to get your health back. You know, it's a pay to win mechanic. Mm -hmm. Uh, This game just gets rid of that and you just have a thing called ninja power and as you fight enemies, it builds up your ninja power meter when it fills in. Then you can use one of your special attacks. It doesn't cost you any health at all and the meter fills up actually pretty quick so you can use your special attacks pretty frequently and there's a lot of cool things there's three different kind of special attacks for each character and you can play as 
Leonardo, Donatello, Raphael, Michelangelo, Splinter, and April O'Neil are also playable, and Casey Jones is unlockable after you've beaten the game, so quite a few characters to play through. Uh, it's quite a long game for the arcade beat-em-up genre. There's 16 levels. Most arcade games uh, are less than half that length. And there's a story mode you can play through that has a world map, kind of like Super Mario Bros. 3-style world map, where you just go between each level. You're capped out at the start of each level. You get all your lives back, and you just try to beat each level individually as its own thing. And there's challenges and collectibles you can find. The collectibles aren't hidden with any great deal of cunning. You just smash anything that you can smash, and you'll find them pretty quick. And there's challenges too like a couple levels you have to beat without getting hit which is pretty hard and you have to do a certain attack a certain number of times it's pretty mindless but it's it's something to add something to work towards and those challenges also did a pretty good job of teaching me all the different kinds of attacks in the game versus just spamming the attack button which is probably what i would have done if the game hadn't taught me what all those different attacks were through the challenges so that was some good design there and there's also an arcade mode, which is your classic arcade-style game where you've got to finish the entire game in one go, in one sitting. You can't stop. There's no saving in between levels. And you got to do it with the same stock of lives. And I think there are continues. Uh, you, you can put in, like, a fake quarter to get more lives, but I didn't have to use it, surprisingly. I sat down to play the arcade mode with April O'Neil. I thought I would get through a couple levels and then lose i just wanted to check it out but i ended up going through the entire game on the default difficulty and didn't have too hard a time with it i, I think this is a a fairly mild game in terms of difficulty which is surprising to say for an arcade beat-em-up because these games are meant to be quarter munchers they're meant to punish you and make you spend more money to finish them <laughs> but i didn't have too hard a time with this on its default difficulty and uh, i had a really good time with it i think if you're a fan of those old arcade beat-em-ups you know not just teenage mutant ninja turtles but also the simpsons or x-men that kind of game you'd have a good time with it if you like the 90s teenage mutant ninja turtles then you'll really get into this too because it's it's all that stuff from the animated show all the characters are here including deeper cuts like the punk frogs and Krang is in there, and Baxter Stockman, and Chrome Dome, and Metalhead, and all these more obscure characters. Great game. I absolutely loved it, and I highly recommend it for anybody interested. I have to ask, who's your favorite turtle? Donatello. Oh. <laughs> Mine is Michelangelo, because he's a party dude. <laughs> it's like my favorite cartoon when I was little. I had like all the videos. So I'm, I'm excited to play it as well. Cool. So is that what you're playing next week? Uh, yeah. I am, uh, a, love, a friend of mine gifted it to me. on. So I'll be playing it on the PS5. Oh, nice. uh, okay. And I'm uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah. So it's one of my favorite cartoons. I've, I've One of my favorite cosplays I've done was April O'Neil. And I found a shredder at the con and we posed for foes and it was so good. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, yeah, I'm really excited. I absolutely adore the 80s turtles. They are also, like, my turtles, I should, like, really. Uh, I'm probably more of Somnium Vitals as well, because I want to... Uh, I actually, um, so I have it on the Switch, so I, I may have um, ordered a second-hand copy on the PS4 so I can replay <laughs> it and get all the trophies. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I will be playing that again, too. But, you know, that's just how it goes when you find a game that's really cool. What, what are you going to be playing this week? Uh, puzzle platformer Elekhead is out, so I'll be uh, Ooh, playing yeah. that. And time permitting, I'm going to check out Fall Guys, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to put uh, too much time into that. We'll see what happens. Because mm. Fall Guys does go free to play this week. Thanks for listening to this episode of In Focus. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and Power of X. 
Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Game Podular community, follow us on Twitter, YouTube and at GamePodular.com for updates, news and other content. Links are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a Game Podular patron. The details for both things are on our website. Thanks! This episode was edited by Andrew and you can follow them at Play Critically or look at their long-form reviews at playcritically.com. You can also follow me, Rosalie, at L-I-L Record Girl. That's Little Record Girl on Twitter.